two kinds of people I never want to fight in this world. One is Bob Backlund, and the others are nuns. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is Joel Rody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. It's horrible because he'll be playing like, we'll be playing golf and he'll be playing like shit. And then once money becomes involved, it's a total <laughs> freaking turnaround. I'm like, what the hell? You just suckered me. <laughs> and in my backswing, he's like talking and I'm freaking hitting the thing to the Sideways. right. Sideways. He hit a ball. At, he hit a ball at a ninety degree angle. I've never seen it happen in my life. It bounced like, off the golf cart. It was unbelievable. Uh, he was supposed uh, to be, you know, you're supposed to be hitting to your left, and somehow he was able to hit it straight in front of himself and to hit a golf. I'm like, you should get money for that because that's, that's the most true. amazing thing in the world. That's when you I chased the Rex down with the flag from the hole, and I threw it at you guys like a freaking spear. <laughs> and I got my forearm stuck in a freaking tree. <laughs> and then yeah, we had to get it down with another golf club. Yeah. Yep. If, you, if you're playing golf and the golf clubs are used to hit the ball only, you're not really playing golf, in my opinion. I, I tried once in my life, and I was ejected from the course, but I had a lovely time. <laughs> uh, where was that at? That was Pine Ridge in North Oxford, Massachusetts, with uh, my uncles. They were – they had this whole uh, the chamber of commerce or something. We're playing golf and everything. And um, I mean, of course, it didn't help that my uncle was on the phone yelling at someone for not delivering lumber and like smashed his phone on the course. And then so they, <laughs> it sounds like Mike. <laughs> oh my god, I would freaking. Freak they out. they started kind of enjoying more beverages. Yes. Yeah, and um, there was like there were like monitors, and I didn't know this, but like there were like stooges that were on every hole, like watching everyone play and reporting. Oh my and, god. And um, so we. Yeah, like we, we started to kind of drink a little more, and um, I'd be out of there in freaking five minutes. They would have thrown me right off the freaking course. Yeah, like you, you ever seen the the medieval jousts? Yeah, right. Well, they don't work with golf carts and golf clubs, and that's all I'm going to say. But <laughs> yeah, that um, that was essentially what. <laughs> that's happened. greatness right there. Well, a real quick backstory: when we were me and Snake were playing racquetball, and I had long hair at the time, mm-hmm. and I was kicking his ass. And then all of a sudden he was like, all right, if you win, I'll give you a thousand bucks. If you lose, you got to shave your head. True story. I had to shave my freaking head. Yep. I I remember when I left for tour, when we left for tour, I I had a clean shaven, long blonde hair. And when I came back, I had a goatee and a shaved head. And I went into my mom's house. She was on the phone in the kitchen and she looks at me and she drops the phone. She goes, who are you? What the hell you want? I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's it's funny. Me. It's Michael. And then she picked up the phone. She's like, Andy, the son of a bitch shaved his head. I got to call you back. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, my God, it's the best. That's cool. Yeah, it's always like that one. You ever play golf oh. with Alice Cooper? Apparently, he's the shit. Uh, he's amazing. Scratch golf? He's amazing. I, uh, I've had the opportunity to play in some of these, uh, like, 
quote unquote celebrity tournaments or whatever, TJ Martell stuff. And uh, one year, a radio station, and I forget where it was, but it was it was the most amazing thing. I got asked to play in it and I flew in the night before. And of course it's like, okay, am I going to sit in my hotel room or am I going to the bar? And we, we all know what the answer to that is. So I get done at the bar when they close probably around two o'clock and I've got to be up and out of my hotel room at six. So I'm like, all right, I've done this before, you know? And so I get out of my hotel room. I walk downstairs. I get in the back of a limo. And who's in the back of the limo to that is supposedly on the team that I'm playing with is Tiny Tim, the <laughs> ukulele player, wow. 08, <laughs> and Killer Kowalski, the old wrestler. Who oh, trained me? Wow. Did he really? Yes. Dude, That's who trained me. My grandmother, who couldn't speak a word of English, Polish woman. Oh, uh-huh. We used to watch Killer Kowalski. I was five years old, mm-hmm. and she loved him, even though he was one of the biggest heels back mm-hmm. then. She loved him because he was Polish. Mm-hmm. So, and he had the worst toupee in the world. Yep. God rest and, his soul. But yep. And he was so kind, like to me, he was so. Kind. They call you the snake. Uh, yep. Why do they call you that? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that's... As soon as I told him about my grandmother and her her excursion mm-hmm. from Poland mm-hmm. to the United States and how I would watch him on a black and white television just to mm-hmm. date myself, uh, it was... He was so cool. Like, and I couldn't believe it. I, oh my God, I was marking out big time, man. Do you speak Polish then fluently or... No, I know one phrase because my, my mother spoke it. And it's called it's it's Shlakagova, which means shithead. I heard that a lot growing up. <laughs> uh, that's so. <laughs> I actually think Killer used to say that. I'm I'm not lying. I I, I could imagine. I mean, like a weird. It, it was but, popular. Uh, it was popular in the Polish culture. How, how was he at golf with those giant hands? He didn't even play either. The tiny Tim. They were just showing up for because of their celebrity, I guess. So did, did you, and so you, you saw the hands though, how like, oh my just, gosh, dude, disproportionate. So he used to like, this is a share a brief Kowalski story with you. So yes, he, please. he agreed to train me at 16. I, I finagled oh. my way in. Of course, my parents had to sign the permission slip, but I was able to convince them. Um, I wow. get trained. I start doing a show, like I start working shows. So he goes, yes, you come and ride with me. So it was like, all right. Um, it was me, a guy named Tim McNeeny and, and someone else, I think Nick or something like that, well, doesn't matter, but Killer would drive and he had this white Ford Explorer and his hands were so big, like if the steering wheel was like that, he would grab the steering wheel like this and just drive with the wheel on, if you can picture this, right? This is how, and now he is 70 something, right? North of 70 and he's driving and it, we're coming back from the show on um, whatever road it was, it was a highway. And I'm there, and again, I'm like maybe now 17. Still is this in, in Massachusetts? Uh, yes. This, the, the show was in New Hampshire. We're going back to Massachusetts. And again, I'm still in high school at this point. So, like, I, I had the, the juxtaposition of, you know, having the nuns telling me to tuck my shirt in and then going and getting, like, you know, steel chairs swung by grown men. Because, you know, at 17, you're not fully developed yet. So it was, a, it was an interesting time in life. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the back. And uh, 
the guy Tim's in the front seat. He goes, guys, don't uh, don't look now, but Walter is asleep. And he was grabbing the wheel like this, and I, when I mean out, he was. <laughs> wow, driving there, and and the 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 car started to veer off, and Tim just goes bink, like straightens the wheel, and we go straight. We start to veer off again. But we must have gone. I mean, I'll say about two miles. Maybe it was a hundred yards. I have no idea. It felt yeah. like an eternity, but. I mean, I was legitimately scared for my life because they're like, hey, Aaron, you got to wake Walter up. You got to wake Walter up. And I I was the kid and I didn't want to because he's my trainer and it was a whole thing. But yeah, yeah, he, you're six, 17 years old. Scared the crap out of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That's, That's a great story. Man. That's a good one. Walter driving? Yes. Oh, my God. He, he would have to drive. That was his thing. Like, so people would ride with him to make sure that he doesn't die. Like that was, it, it was wow. to protect the safety of all the other motorists that are using the roads. Like, yeah, it, it was, he, he was interesting. He was, um, he was so cool, but yeah, he had his, he had, had his, you know, ways about him. Like we all do. I'll tell you what, man, watching him back in the day, he was like a terrifying guy. And so it right. was, it was, it was really weird. You know, I mean, it took somebody's ear off, you know, Yukon Eric's ear off mm-hmm. with a knee drop. And mm-hmm. so, to me, as a five-year-old kid, that was like Frankenstein attacking somebody, you know? And, yep. and so, but it was so strange because my grandmother was cheering for him. Mm-hmm. So at five years old, I'm like, you're a monster too. You know, it's like, <laughs> guys, hold on one second. I got to get my power cable because I'm about to run out. Hold on. All right. Talk amongst yourselves. Well, this is so cool because like when you asked me to come on here, I had no idea that uh snake would know who i am this is a wow i didn't tell him either by the way it was a no surprise. he's like yeah he remembered the title snake i held it i forgot snake, what was going on I, I didn't say a word and then michael was great he brought up the wedding stuff and and you weren't on yet so i take i texted michael like you gotta get on right now yeah, the time I, guys saw that, I was like i hope i catch this story because oh you good. came in perfectly because he just that is a hell of a story. story i'm like hold on a minute and i clicked the button and snake's face was like oh fuck that's i awesome. know i saw his name come up i'm like okay time for me to go <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> i see this asshole enough Right, Joel. The the cool part about this whole thing, Joel, is you know when when Mike jumped in, Mike was essential in my in the film. You know, going back in its inception, you know, started as a TV reality show. We were pitching in the oh six oh seven era before it really blew up, and then um, you know, Mike being a Jersey guy, I reached out and we interviewed him in his driveway, sitting on his Harley with my little eight millimeter thing, and we're just using his placeholders, and then. As the kind of the reality show thing went away, the, the movie evolved. And I was like, hey, Mike, I'm doing this thing. And he would, before I could say, would you help me? He was like, I'm in. And <laughs> yeah. we went, Mike took me to, well, I worked with Mike in Sweden on the Skid Row thing for a weekend. And then we did uh, the first ship rocked in 09. Mm. And then Mike and I did a studio thing together for a while. So it's kind of cool how it's all coming full circle. I'm promoting Snakes in. This is all great. The whole wrestling world and and yeah, Snake, the mm-hmm. WCW thing with the Pyro guys on the Kiss tour. Oh, that's we right. To, we went to a bunch of uh, you know shows with them guys too. So that was it's so much fun. It's so full circle. It's really mm-hmm. cool, Joel, that you you put this all together like this. Absolutely. 
You know what's interesting? Uh, something Snake was saying before, I, I was holding on to this one. You were talking about seeing wrestling shows at Roosevelt Stadium. Yeah. Wasn't part of Kiss Alive taped at Roosevelt Stadium? Yes. Yes, mm. you're absolutely right. It Locking was. wrestling connection. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know what's funny is that whenever we went to Japan, there would always be some sort of events going on over there with with uh, North American wrestlers involved in it. Like, I can't, countless times we'd be playing and, and the Road Warriors would be at our show yeah. and Brian Pillman, God rest his soul. Same thing uh, with the Road Warriors, great people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Marcus Laurinaitis, who's the youngest brother of the Laurinaitis family, is is a dear friend. And so mm-hmm. he wrestled for a little while, a character called the Terminator. And so oh. he he did he did really well in 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 Japan mm-hmm. for a little while there. So we became good friends and obviously his brother and, and, and Jim and uh, gosh, uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, another oh, one yeah. passed too soon. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys, but that's initially where I met uh, Jericho at was 95 wow. in Japan. We took uh, my friend Elwood, who was our guitar tech at the time, who's now, ironically, the bass player of ZZ Top after being Billy Gibbonson's guitar tech for the last 20 years. Wow. Yeah, Dusty Hill wanted him to take his place. That was wow. his request. That's the same Elwood. I was always wondering if the Elwood was a joke name because of the Blues Brothers, but that's the same guy. Yes. Yeah. Wow. There, there's a ZZ Top photo on the wall over there, so that's why. Yeah. Well, and Elwood that's like the I. fourth Blues Brother reference we've had in this conversation, yeah. you're saying? Like, Nuts, right? <laughs> like, you remember in Europe, uh, when me and Elwood were bus surfing, going yes. So they have two hatches there, one in the back lounge and one in the in the front. And me and Elwood going down the highway are crawling out the back one, walking the length of the bus and coming in the front one. And the last time we did it, Elwood stuck his head out and he came down. He had like a freaking pine cone sticking out of his. Big <laughs> he shit. He's like, all right, that's over. That was awesome. Yeah, he, he, he and I, right? he's a, what's that? I was 95, right? Yeah, he was, he is a huge wrestling fan. Like for Christmas one year, he uh, signed me up for the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter that mm. was at the time. Very cool. And so he and I found this wrestling show that was going on. And he knows they have those shows sometimes where it's not like a, a cafeteria but it's set up like that because the low ceilings and mm-hmm. the drop ceilings and stuff and uh but it's a if it was a fairly big place like it probably fit like a thousand people in it or whatever mm-hmm. and someone made phone calls from the promoter mr udo's office and we had to take two trains and it took us two hours to get there and backland was on the bill Mill Mascaris was on the bill. I know you had, earlier you had said you have some backland stories, which I would just love to hear. And then Jericho was on it. Mm-hmm. So Jericho is obviously, as you know, he's just a huge rock and metal fan. Oh, and yeah. obviously he has his band and he's very successful with that as well. But we had released a record called Subhuman Race and he knew all the lyrics. It was blowing my mind because he's in the ring getting thrown into the ropes, yelling lyrics from one of our songs. I was like, this person's crazy. And we were, we've been, we've been friends ever since. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome. 
Yeah. So I always loved going there to Japan because you you never knew who you would run into. Mm-hmm. And it's always a great feeling to be able to run into people who are from back home. Yes. Like, yeah. You know what? And but you but the hard thing is you just don't know when the night's gonna end. That's the big yep. problem. Yep. And you know who's notorious for that was the nasty boys. I notorious knobs more than sags oh yeah yeah yeah. um the first time i met brian knobs was at the hard rock in tampa and uh, i was an fcw at the time so like um i was with with arn anderson yeah and like arn is just i tell you what i I don't have enough good things to say about him uh both as an in-ring talent and as a human being and as an agent to be able to have like worked with him we bonded over the logic of playing the 50 cent 25 cent slot machines because <laughs> you you have like a better chance of winning than the the smaller ones and you're not so like like we we had the and, and again they're free drinks so like we we were always like that was our thing right so we're right, sitting right. there and then i mean i swear and and it wasn't full but there was a few people around you just hear hey where's that fucking hell and like, you know, he's got his hand like this and he, and he goes, son of a bitch. And like, we looked and there, I mean, I'm, I'm talking a blonde mohawk. He's about 300 pounds. Looks like he has been drenched with a garden hose. He's just he's yeah. got sweat pouring off him Always. constantly, by the way. Yeah, this is constant. He's like red because he's, he's just the, the amount of alcohol and God knows whatever else in the system. And he's dressed in all black. He looks like he has a polo shirt on in dress pants <laughs> and Arn's just like, God, like he he's pissed because he doesn't want to have to deal with them. And knobs just goes, fuck these effing marks at the casino. They tell me I can't come in here and da da da. These are Zubas. Look, and just proceeds to drop his pants and his, his stuff is hanging out just right on the casino floor. And he's going like this and just, and I'm going, okay, this is a real, <laughs> this is a real thing. This is a real human being. And the, the stories are true. And um, this is the first time you met him. First time I ever met him. And I'm going, <laughs> okay. I mean, he, he's a lot. He's uh, definitely he, a lot. Hanging out. he, uh, one year we were down in Tampa, him and Sags came to the show. I believe I was introduced to them through DDP probably. Mm-hmm. And we became quick friends and stuff and kept in contact. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so they came to the show and our drummer at the time, Rob, made the mistake of just hushing underneath his breath that wrestling was fake oh. and bad move, bad move, man. Mm-hmm. And Rob was just this very ignorant individual. And within a minute, knobs oh, uh, had Rob pressed against the ceiling of the dressing room like pressed <laughs> mm-hmm. up against the ceiling of the dressing room and i'm like i'm like i ain't saving you man i'm not saving you. you deserve this you're you're disrespectful you deserve this and finally after give him a couple good swipes like you know a couple mm-hmm. good little elbows here and mm-hmm. there just to let him know that like i could smash you at any given moment that's when our drummer was like Man, I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. Like, you respect these guys, man. They're for real. And then proceeded to just go full force 
with knobs and sags all night until we had to get out of there, until we had to leave. And the bus left probably four or five in the morning. So like in in terms of like, again, rock star levels, and, and, you know, you were at obviously like you've experienced it, you lived in everything. They were comparable to rock star level partying, like in terms of beyond you guys hit it a lot harder than a lot of guys that I, I knew. And uh-huh. I could hit it pretty good. Like I'm a pretty good seasoned veteran, and and hey, you owned a could... couple of gas stations to prove it. That's true. I have. <laughs> I drove uh... through a gas station. Would you tell the cop that a zebra freaking crossed the road? And that was when I hit the telephone pole coming uh-huh. home from Bourbon Street. That was twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, uh-huh. ruined ruined a really good sleep. That's all I know. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing like sleeping really good and getting woken up by a telephone pole. Yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> Catholic or a gas boys. station. Catholic <laughs> boys, and you, you were talking about nuns earlier, Aaron. Uh, I shot a nun in seventh grade. In the you're alive to tell about it? Yeah, I shot her in the ass with Bro. a beef gun. Sister Humiliant, I'll never forget her. She just pissed me off, and my buddy Tony Parascano brought in a BB gun with CO2 thing, and she walked past me, and I ping right in the ass. She's like, son of a bitch! Dude. I went off, and I, I spent six weeks... Uh, Every day after school in, in the convent, which was the most I, craziest experience I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, there are two people, two kinds of people I never want to fight in this world. One is Bob Backlund and the others are nuns. Like they, <laughs> again, you can shoot them, you can, but you're, you're not going to beat a nun. Like they, those, they are a different breed, man. Like those penguins, I don't mess with them. Again, I, I, I'm a Catholic school victim. And, the um, penguin. Ooh. Okay, so if you had to fight, if you had to fight somebody, like you had to make a choice, mm-hmm. Bob Backlund or Haku. Okay, you know what? Either way, I'm dying. Yes. So that's a coin toss, and and here's the like Haku has a reputation, and rightfully so, of being the toughest guy in the business, and I mean, absolutely, right? Like I'm not, and and I love Haku. I I room with his son in Puerto Rico. Tom, I mean, we're friends. I'm friends with his other buddy, uh, or his other son. Um, uh, I, I, Tangaloa, I think is his name. Now I know him as Donnie. Um, but love Haku. Um, lo- Backland is, he's not a human being. And, and, no, and, and I say this lovingly because I, I've, I've had very good experiences with Bob, but here are two brief stories to illustrate Bob Backland and this is post like the height of him being the WWE champion. For those of you that don't know Bob Backlund, he essentially looks like a Jack Howdy duty. Yeah. I mean, he, he does, does not look like he could fight his way out of a paper bag. Okay. To, to look at him. And I mean, he was about 240 in the day in good shape, but you know, with a, a shirt on and stuff, he's not really particularly menacing and his, his demeanor, he's very nice and very into positive thinking and, um, I watched him. He is 62 or 63 at the time for raw. It, this is called the Harvard step test where you, you have a block, you know, like you see these crossfitters when they jump onto things, right? This is about, I'd say no more than two, two and a half feet off the ground, but you simply step up and you step down, right? Yeah. You step up and you step down. Not really that impressive of a feat. Bob was on the second to last segment of raw. Before Raw started, he set up this box at the monitor, 
for over three goddamn hours, he just kept doing it. He didn't stop one time. He didn't stop to get a drink of water. He didn't stop to use the bathroom. People were coming up to him. The writers were talking to him and he's got his little towel on, not breaking a sweat, by the way, like not one drop of sweat. Wow. It came time for his segment. He goes, goes out to the ring, does a segment and that's it. Now you may think that's impressive. Here's another one. I'm doing a thing where I, I was wrestling Kali mm-hmm. and the fans. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. Um, oh. but I love Kali, but that chop, oh my, ugh, my Ew. spine is still to this day. And cause you can't fake that, you know, uh, I, I'm wrestling Kali and the fans are going to vote as to who they want to be the referee. It was between Sergeant Slaughter, who I love and does not get enough credit for being as much of an icon as he is. Like oh, I, I'm lot, such a huge fan. Larger than life. I mean, the man is a living G.I. Joe. Um, so it was Sergeant Slaughter, Arn Anderson, who I was secretly hoping for. Sure. Uh, and Bob Backlund. Now, <laughs> How this was going to go, okay, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to say I got kind of screwed out of the finish. I'm going to get in whoever's face, right, Wh- whoever the fans vote on. And I didn't know legitimately who it was going to be till I was in the ring on live TV. So we, we had a game plan for everyone. And I'm, I'm hoping for Arn because he's like, I'm thinking, okay, Arn, you'll kick me DDT. He's like, uh-uh, duck one spine buster. I'm going, yes, I'm going to take the spine buster. So I'm, I'm marking out, right? Cause I, yeah, I man, I for him. sure. He goes, no. This is WWE. They're going to vote on Sarge. Trust me. This is Sergeant Slaughter's going to win. And sure enough, he was right. So I ended up getting a Cobra Clutch. But wow. But when we were going over the game plan, Bob comes up to me and he goes, So I, I hear we may be doing something. I go, Oh, yes, Bob, absolutely. And because um, I stole my blue robe when I was intellectual savior, it was modeled after Bob's robe. Okay, when he was a champ back in yes. the day. Yeah. Uh, and I told oh, him that. Wow. So I had that rapport with him. And he was so cool and, and we, we had gotten along very well. So I was like, yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be doing this. And uh, so I, I'd like to try this if you, if you want. Like maybe we can, can uh, you know, can you throw a clothesline? Yes. Now, Snake, and, and for Darren and whoever else may be familiar with Bob Backlund, what do you think the logical thing is when I throw a clothesline how does this end if Bob is going to give me his finishing move? He's going to duck and put you in a cross-face chicken wing. Absolutely, yeah. which is essentially a hold where my hand is here, and I'm like this. So I'm thinking, great, this is going to be easy. It's going to be good. I just hope he doesn't snap my arm off and get too excited, right? Which yeah. I don't – I mean, Bob is a pro. I swear to you, this is exactly what happened. I threw a clothesline. I'm about 250 pounds at the time. I throw a clothesline. The next thing I know, I am staring at my feet at the ceiling. Bob has picked me up like this (laughs) on his shoulder to where my feet are parallel with the ground and my head's back here. And he's, he has me like this. And, And when he picked me up, I didn't feel like, it wasn't like a jerky mo. He picked me up like a cell phone. Like it was the most gentle thing. He's 60 something years old now at the time. And he then proceeds to go. Now, most people don't know this, but my finish used to be the atomic knee drop. That's right. So if it's okay, after you throw a clothesline, I will pick you up in, in this position we're in right now. And it's okay. I, I, I control you. I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. It's Okay. And we'll take a few steps back and proceeds to walk backwards with me. 
Mm-hmm. And he goes, then I'd, I'd like to do a thing where I run across the ring and is now running with me. Now there, there's stage hands, you know, <laughs> roadies. There's other wrestlers that are looking like what the f- is going on. Cause Backlund has me and I, I am helpless. I, I, I had no choice but to be picked up like this. And he's like running with me and he goes, so I'll do this. And, and then if it's okay, I'll, I'll set you down, sell it and I'll put you in the chicken wing. And I just looked at him and I went, Bob, I guess so. <laughs> it was the only, only other human being I have ever felt strength like that from is Mark Henry. Yeah. Well, oh, it, geez, yeah. Wow. No, but, but like, that's impressive. Yeah. Bob, I mean, at 60 something years old, to have that kind of, it, it was, it's not human. And Dude, that's the only way I can describe it. It's just not human. My profile picture on my Instagram account is Bob Backlund putting me in a cross-faced chicken wing backstage at uh, the Barclays Center. Dude, yep. I, you know, I'll, I'll follow you on the gram right now, but that's up. Uh, he, he, uh, he uh, I went to go see Chris. And uh, brought my family back there mm-hmm. and everybody, I mean, people just, again, I, I credit my experience with the people <laughs> in, in that industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, people have just been so kind. They have extended themselves so graciously. Um, anytime that we've been back, you know, whether it was back in the day and it was when the NWA came to the Meadowlands and Flair and Luger and everybody were there and the rock and rolls and Flair was calling me, sir, and can you sign an autograph for my son, which I think was for David. Mm. And uh, uh, and then – and he was like, yeah, my daughter has a poster of you on a wall. I'm like, oh, you've got – stop it. Like that. Uh, and now it's it's Charlotte, you know. Yeah. And uh, But everybody has always been so unbelievably gracious. I mean – Mark, the Undertaker, he was just, he was incredible. Like, I'll never forget, we were at the Meadowlands. We go to, to say hi, he brings us back. He's like, uh, you guys know my manager, Paul Bearer? And I'm like, this, oh, this, yeah. this is the craziest. And I, of course, I knew him by Percy Pringle from mm-hmm. WCCW because I used to follow every federation there ever was. And so mm-hmm. uh, it was just, everybody had always been, and still to this day is, just so generous with their time and, and, you know, Xavier Woods comes up and gives my daughter one of the unicorn things for a thing. And we're like in fourth row and, and Bailey takes her shirt and goes to give it to the audience. And some person goes to grab me. She goes, no, like that and points to my daughter and gives Mm. it to my daughter. It's just, it's things like that, that those kids are never going to forget. And then they go and they watch, they put on TV on a Monday or a Friday and they're like, Oh my gosh, that's the, you know, that's the girl who gave me your shirt. And, mm-hmm. and there's Charlotte and Sasha Banks. They gave us bagels backstage. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it says a lot for the integrity of you guys. Cause that's the way it was with, you know, NWA, WCW guys. Uh, you know, even when like I got to know uh, Brian Crush, Brian Adams, when yeah, he was yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And, wow. And he came out to some shows when we were in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was he with? Was he with Steve Dahl? He was with somebody. And uh, we became friends and mm. stayed in contact until he passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. And he was a great guy. Yeah. And so I've never had a, a, a bad experience with any of the guys in your business. So that says a lot. And I can't cool. say that about the guys in, in the rock business. There's a lot of people who are, who are not cool.
I was so, going to piggyback to that. I've never had a dealing with a heel that wasn't the nicest in real life. And then the baby faces or the good guys, whatever you want to call them, that's who generally the problems were in, in everyday existence. It's, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I think th- there's a degree, right, of um, when, when someone else from an, another form of entertainment comes into yeah, our world, like right. we are going to like, like we said before, right. You're, you're not on the fence with wrestling. It's either really cool or that's completely fake and phony and yeah. y- y'all need to get some real jobs. So like when, when other artists kind of come into our world uh, or athletes or anyone, like we are just more prone to um, really kind of show them that respect because we appreciate it. And at the same time, you know, like understanding like, Hey, we're all people. And you know, like, Hey, some kids like bagels, you know, and like, yeah. of course we'll, we'll have, you know, and, and, and just, it's, it's that like that setting. Cause like, we want to make people feel welcome. I think in, in general, because we just appreciate um, the appreciation if, if anything else. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, I do know what you mean. Like uh, a, there are some baby faces that have been, um, you know, and I'm talking like within the inner workings of, of things. Cause like in, in the music industry, you know, there's always, like you, you said, right. There's, there's heels and faces in real life, right? Like there's people yeah. who in real life. So, and, and wrestling is no different. It's, it's just your, again, uh, I feel as a heel, it, it's almost this very therapeutic, if not cathartic nature to it. Because like when I was Santa, I could go and I could crap on mass groups of people at a time. So there's no need to be a jerk in real life because I've, I've gotten it out, you know? So when, when people ask for autographs and stuff, yes, I'd, I'd of course be a little bit eccentric and I'd go into the, you know, how do you spell your name? Are you aware this came from Latin meaning, you know, some kind of weird thing, but I, I, I would make it enjoyable for them. And I think with baby faces, when you have to be so nice all the time and in that, you know, you have to be that guy or, or that girl, like um, at some point, you know, the, the human condition, which has, all emotions in it um you know there needs to be a balance so i think you know darren to to your point that's a um could be a reason for that one of the one of the greatest things i saw like was at that show when when we went and hung out with uh with edge and and Mm -hmm. kane and those guys and uh del rio had just gotten done with his match and there was it wasn't it wasn't a it was just a house show it wasn't a tv show Mm -hmm. and so there's, there's a bunch of kids around the ring with magazines wanting them to sign it. And he smacked them out of all their hands. And yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Amazing. But that's what a heel does. That's what a bad guy does. You know, yeah. that's essentially what, I mean, th- th- see, that's the beauty of wrestling, right? In, in like, so in the, in the music industry, what's, or in athletics or any other form, like let, let's look at theater, right? You want this. You know, you, you want, like, you want to know that you rock the place. Right. right? Yeah. Wrestling is the only form of entertainment to where you can be. And again, not all the time, but like, if like as a heel, like, okay, I now have to get everyone in the Staples Center chanting Sandow sucks. Like I have to get these people to hate me, you know? (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of, um, process you go through cathartically because you're like, no, if you really want to be the best bad guy you can be, you cannot, like, you have to shun their adulation, but at the same time, being able to engage them to a point of where they do want to, you know, react and give you something. So that's kind of 
that's what I'm that curious is. about something because I go back and I watch old footage from like the fifties and the sixties mm-hmm. of, of shows that were particularly at, at, at the old garden. Mm-hmm. And you would see it was like old women in glasses and, and, and dudes smoking cigars and they would get, cause there was no boundary. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they were six feet away from the ring mm-hmm. and they would go after wrestlers with their cigars or like yeah. their their knitting needle out of their head or yep. something like it was yep. and it was like that was genuine heat mm-hmm. like like they had the like Buddy Rogers had real heat like uh mm-hmm. uh Gorgeous George Gorgeous had Stro- real yeah. monumental heat yeah like, he was the first guy that had like the persona yeah like oh wait a minute I'm going to like like TV is a thing, and I, I, let me get a robe. Let me do this. Let me do that. And and just he was the human orchid. He was called, and it's a um, that's right. God, I mean, yeah, like that's you talk about a guy that changed the game. That's insane. Well, my, I guess my question for you is: Did you ever have heat that was so massive that you were kind of nervous? There was, um, like, I was always able, like, when I was a bad guy, like, to get people to, and it, it was especially like with the Sandow character. Um, you know, I was lucky enough, but that was always kind of like regulated to the, the safety of the arena we were in, which was usually, you know, like a staple center or a garden or something like that. Um, there was one time and, and, you know, again, aside from like, like the, the burns I have from the pennies and like the old ladies macing and you occasionally get stuff thrown there, there was one time, um, in Puerto Rico that I was legitimately scared for my life, um, to where I, I'll, I'll go ahead. Here we go. So the, yeah. I was working for Carlos Colon, right? Now, I was the, the the heel, like the big heel. Americans are better than Puerto Rico, yada, yada. Cooks wouldn't serve me at certain restaurants. So pe- people hated me, right? Like, like I was I was not liked. Um, but the, <laughs> they wouldn't serve you. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't go to Denny's. Sucked. Um, the <laughs> Wow. The, how do I put this kindly? Um, there's a giant housing project in Puerto Rico. I'm, I'm talking massive. The thing is like a small city and it's in San Juan on the way to Bayamon. Um, the local pharmacist, shall we say, um, in the housing project, who yep. was a pharmacist and president kind of at, at the same time in terms of how he ran. Wow. Things, was a wrestling you know people fan. In high places. Um, no, I don't know him, but he, he was a wrestling fan and he decided because, in, you know, it, it's not just like the nasty stuff. Like they, people do take care of people in their neighborhoods there, which is very interesting, you know, regardless of what you do for a, a living, so to speak. Um, they're very much like you, you have to be a figure in the community. So right. for the community, he decides he wants to put on a wrestling show. Right. Okay. So he asked one of the boys that was in the locker room that he knew if I wouldn't mind coming and taking a third party booking to be the big heel on the wrestling show. Now, then the, the head guy was totally cool. Like he, he was in on it. He understands it's a work. They offered me some decent money and I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Right. So the ring is set up in an intersection. Okay. It's just like, there's two streets. The ring is in the middle of the intersection. There are no permits. Food trucks are there. They, the, the people themselves have barricaded the streets. So you can't, <clears throat> children are leaning up against the ring. So there, there is zero barrier, nothing. I changed in somebody's house. Like literally. now there's, again, streets are just chock full of people. Then there's people hanging over there. Like, like the, um, 
on their stoops, like in the porches. It's about probably like four or five stories high. So people are out on the balconies yelling. There's, you know, noisemakers. There's, you know, like stuff going there. There was glow sticks. It was like a friggin' carnival. I come to the ring. And um, actually, I don't know, like legally, I mean, we're not, but my, my, I had a Kiss theme song. I was made for loving you was my, my theme song. Oh, it's great. So I I come walking, right? And here come the booze, whatever. And, I I had people like that were my security to the ring, which ironically it was like Moses, no, the, the C's part of it. But then once I got in the ring and I was by myself, different story, something, I don't know if it was a rock or whatever. It, it came so close to where like it moved my hair, but I heard it go. It, and it wasn't like a, you know, F you kind of thing. It was like, like a scene from Braveheart to where it was like, okay, that was a bit much. And then something else hit me in the leg. And then I looked and cause it was nighttime out. And I mean, it was like out of a movie, man. Like they, they were just like cars with their lights on. That's how yeah. the ring was wow. lit. And, and, and they were the street lights. And I, like, I'm seeing, you know, napkins and stuff, but like other stuff being thrown too. And I'm going like, okay, this is bad. Right. By the grace of God, I go, okay. Like I am in a bad position. So what I did, I got, I went to one side of the ring and I stood on the middle rope, but I was facing inside the ring. I pulled my pants down and mooned them and no, but like I gave them a target because I would rather everyone, you know, if I moon them, they're going to throw stuff at my ass. So I I literally let one side just throw everything they had. and, And I was like this covering up from the front. So it wouldn't get me on, you know, from the, any other direction. And when I felt like a bunch of stuff calmed down. I did it on the other side. So everyone kind of like did it. Now I couldn't sit down for a while, but that was like, if I don't do something, like I could get seriously injured. And, and the little kids around the ring, one of the little bastards broke my pinky finger and stomped on it when I was in the cell. But that was, again, I, I was just happy to be out of there with, with my life. So that was, that was the only time I was ever really kind of like, okay, this isn't, this ain't good. You ever throw Dude, a roadie I, it, in front of you, Snake? You ever throw a TJ in front of you? <laughs> oh, actually, there was a moment oh. in TJ. There was a moment where I was, we were, not I, we were performing in New Mexico, and I believe it was Albuquerque. And there to say that there were drunk folks there who have Native American ancestry in their blood would be an understatement. And there was a guy in the back giving me the finger the whole night. Like, not the band, me. And so I got on the mic, and I'm like, I called him out and put the spotlight on him because I'm a tough guy. (laughs) I'm a real tough guy. And luckily, I see TJ, who legitimately is, behind the PA cabinets. No one can see him, but I know he's there. So I've got... I've got TJ muscles right now because I know I could run like a little girl and and have TJ stand in front of me. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm calling this guy up and he's getting closer. And truth be told, I'm getting a little nervous. You know, I don't have my beer muscles yet. I'm not, I don't, you know, this isn't after the show. This is during the show. So, but I, my adrenaline's going. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't let this guy do this. Like, I can't mm-hmm. let him get away with this in mm-hmm. front of all these people. So I, I say something and I'm getting this guy, I'm getting heat on this guy. Like they're <laughs> starting to boom and stuff like that. And, but he's coming closer and because I'm egging him on and I'm like, 
well, come on, you want, you know, let's, let's have at it type of thing. And then finally, and I'm, again, I've got, I'm confident because I got TJ. I know TJ mm-hmm. will immediately fly like Superman, like he did in Memphis mm-hmm. and clock this guy into Las Cruces. You're DiBiase, he's Virgil. Exactly. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> yep. And uh, so, but in, I had some semblance of sanity and clarity and I was able to sit there and change the dialogue of the conversation by going something to different like dude do you really want to do this like well, aren't we supposed to be brothers like aren't we supposed to be here enjoying music together mm-hmm. like there's no reason for us to be at odds like let's enjoy this together let's have a beer together mm-hmm. you know and turn it around and the next thing you know the guy's clapping and like this I'm like Oh, that was easy. Why didn't I just do that to begin with, you know, instead of attempting to be a tough guy, which I'm not, you know, so, but yeah, that was, that was one of those moments, you know, and we also had another time too, where we were getting death threats. Um, And so someone sent a death threat saying uh, something to the effect of beware, you're going to see a red dot on your chest. And sure enough, the red dot showed up and we were like, Whoa, this is with Skid Row. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It was after the bottle incident that happened in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. It was scary. yeah. I remember the guy in, uh, when we went skiing, <laughs> we had, when we were in, uh, where the hell were we? We're in Killington. Where? We were in Killington. Killington. Yeah. What the hell did the guy say? He said, say he was a DJ from the bar across the street. And he said something shitty about 18 in life and Skid Row. And Mike turned this guy around and bent him over the bar and had his arms behind his head and had his wrist touching the back of his neck. <clears throat> Guy's face is in, in the bar, like on the bar getting smushed. I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> and there was the we had made friends with the owners who were from Australia and they saw this go down and they come over and they're like, you got to let the guy go. We'll get him out of here, but you got to let the guy go. So we let the guy go. And he's like, guys, I think you're great, but you probably should get out of here and probably get out of town because the cops are on their way. And and (laughs) Mm -hmm. you guys are going to, you guys are going to go to jail. So that was the end of our trip. Wow. You guys get that Aaron. Do you guys get to, I mean, so music guys like to fight, obviously. Thanks Nick. So, wow. With you guys, like, are you out with your buddies? You're drinking. We're a bunch of wrestling guys. Do you get tough guy just wanting to fight a wrestling dude? Um, oh. there's like occasionally, but like, look, when when we go out, it's and in we're in the you know U.S. When I was on tour, like, we were just always ready to get to the next city, and because like our schedule really didn't permit us to really party that much. But when we would go overseas, we would, um, there were like a couple times, like, um, it was Scotland of all places. Cause I, Scotland's such a wonderful, friendly country. Um, totally. but this, I think this dude was a bit of a jerk. Um, what's that? Um, like Scotland, like the dude was being a bit of a jerk and, oh, um, oh dude. Okay. Sorry. Um, but, but not, not a hell of a lot. It, it does happen occasionally, but like usually, and it's funny if, if you try to mess with one of us, like you're going to get all of us. Oh yeah, man. Same um, thing. Same thing yeah. with the road crew in the band. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause like, you know, none of us want issues or problems. Like, you know, like with you guys, right. I'm sure. Yeah. You, you want to party, have a good time. 
And, you know, you're not really looking to get into a fight. No, it's the last thing you want to do. other inside the tour bus, but when you're in the bar, you're fucking brothers, dude. Yeah, exactly. That's the truth, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that that's kind of the name of that tune. It's a uh, it, it was interesting, but you know, there's things happened here and there. I mean, when in, in, in Impact one time, uh, it was my first day at Impact, and uh, I'm like my, my travel crew was Santino Morella and Brodus Clay, who's now Tyrus, yeah. yeah, on the Gutfield show. So like that that was that was my posse. Okay. Um, so yeah, the three of us, and we were the most unlikely trio ever, but um, you know that was who we rolled with. So. I was an impact and, and Brodus and I are sitting there. We're just talking. And then some dude like comes up and just starts talking a bunch of shit. And it's just like, what? Yeah. Like it. And so that kind of, it, it was handled. Like there was no physicality, but it was like, it, it maybe could have, but I, I just, I, I never understood like the, the mentality of just with anybody, because nowadays, I mean, everyone knows jujitsu and all these other, like, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Like size really doesn't mean anything. Like, why would you go to, anyone and start talking a bunch of shit i don't like, know you know well, i, I just... had i wrote it in my book so there was this one we were in oregon and these these neo-nazi guys came to the oh. show and they they were doing the whole how hitler shit in the front row and they started throwing needles at scott wyland and it sucks i'm like i'm gonna die from flying needle yeah and it's scary as all hell, to be honest. Luckily, yeah. they had the caps on on the needles still, actually. Why would you do that, though? Like, what what is the well, point of... Why why pay the 60 bucks to get in, to push your way to the front row, to be a dick? Yeah. And then I'm thinking, like, my whole thought was, my, on this particular incident, the thought process was like, okay, we're going to go watch this dude who's dressed in drag at the end of the show. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, what, what are... Why do you want to come? Like what, what are you there for dollar, God's man? That's the million yeah. dollar question now. Like <clears throat> we've asked ourselves that throughout the history of the band. Like, why would you come there just to give, you know, the band the finger or, or throw something out? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, what is the point that you're trying to get across? Like, you, look, I got an idea. Instead of doing that, I'll give you your money back, man. It's fine with me. I'd rather yeah. you not be here, you know, because you're ruining it for the people around you. And now, I wonder if it's like with yeah, stand-up comedians, yeah. you know, where they just fucking rip them apart, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, I wish I had that died. amount of ability, like <laughs> like a Dave, like a Dave Attell or, or uh, Jeff Ross. No, it was, because, the, it was a, Norm MacDonald did one. It was a oh, teacher who got up and yelled in the audience. And I've been just, they put that up today, yeah. I'm such hmm. a huge Norm MacDonald fan. So, you yeah, know, Tass, I, li- I listen to all this stuff. So it was him hmm. just going off on the school teacher about being a hero. It's so good. I mean, it's so, so, so good. I'm just blown away by, you know, uh, uh, all the great comedians absolutely know how to respond. You know, I mean, all the way back to, you know, Milton Berle, you know, when he was on the MTV Awards. I I I interviewed Don Rickles, right, Darren? I did. I did. I, I think uh, John Ruckles is a bad, better than Uncle Milty, but oh, yeah, without a doubt, one of the round and round videos. Don Rickles did not give a shit. You had the opportunity to to, to interview him. Yeah, when I was oh. like eighteen or nineteen, uh, oh. I interviewed a lot of royalty, but that was like this awkward career phase when they were playing this venue on Long Island called Westbury Music Fair. It was like we're totally familiar with die, it, but. Uh, you know, someone had to. How did oh. that go? I'm interested. Rickles? Yeah. Um, I didn't understand 
fully that he was in character. So I thought like, oh, he doesn't like me very much. Mm. And then now that I listen to it and I'm like, oh, you idiot. He was putting on a show for you. Yeah, like, man. That's... He was super nice, but like Joan Rivers was not nice. Like so, some comedians are just like not the best and others are the best. So prosing. I'm usually decent with comedians, but not when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's incredible though, right? Like, cause no, like that whole world. I mean, you talk about just improv and like having to, to change things up on a dime and, and, and having as extensive an understanding of the human condition, you know, and be that witty and, and just to me that that is I tell you one of the highest forms of art um you can get I mean like comedic timing is just absolutely insane I mean I I don't think you can I, learn I, could it. Never I think you just have it yeah I agree because I, I I know I couldn't I couldn't do with like a Don Rickles my god like Andy Coffin who I oh you know come on oh yeah like, it, that's a different level he's still alive it's it's interesting uh I went to see, of all people, this is going back 25 years, uh, Howie Mandel down at uh, in Atlantic City. Not and nice his... when you interview him. What's that? Not nice when you interview him. Really? <laughs> well, he's a germaphobe, and so he's, you know. He's... And a wrestling fan. Really? Is he really? Not as much well, as I... Andy Kaufman was. <laughs> I know. But but no, I yeah, Howie Mandel. He's in... and, Sorry, I didn't cut you off, but I, I have a Howie Mandel story. Well, what was really interesting is that I was talking at the after show or whatever uh, that they have, and I was talking to him and his brother, and they were very, very kind, and how he went about his business. And I, I was talking – his brother is involved in his management, I believe, uh, at the time. And he's he – I don't know how he got on the subject, but he goes, you know, 90%, 90 to 95% of his show is improv. And I'm like – Oh, I know what it was because he just picked the lady out of the audience and started having this conversation mm. and everything that he said was based on what her uh, initial response was. Wow. And I found, and you could tell that it wasn't a plant. It was for real. And mm -hmm. so I was really, really blown away by that. I was like, that's really like, I know how to improvise on a guitar, but I don't know. I, it amazes me to have that uh, brain to mouth capability that you can respond so quickly with a thought based on another person's response. Like it when you remember what we said in the first time you were on here, it was the, uh, it was the, how quickly you came up with guitar riffs. And I think that's so cool too. It's the same idea of how do you do that so fast? I, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I find it more compelling on when they do it because. Cause you can't. <laughs> well, I totally can't. Right, I mean, I, that's it, you know. But it's to see it happen and then to realize that ninety-five percent of a two-hour show is improvised. I mean, that's it's incredible. incredible. Mark and Mark and Mindy, yeah. Mark and Mindy was completely—I don't know. You would know, Darren. He knows so much random shit. But Mark and Mindy, <laughs> how many? Like, I, I think, is that a compliment? Like, I think it's a compliment. It was you know to stuff. Compliment. <laughs> so I met Darren. So I had written this book and I sent it to Darren. He was like, "Do not have time to read your book." I'm like, okay, no problem. Thank you very much. Next morning, he's like, I was up all night and I read your book. <laughs> he's like, I'm, and I'm going to bring you on my thing. And he writes for all these big publications. And then we became buddies. It was actually, it was kind of a cool way to meet. That's but cool. um, he knows all this random, he knows all this random stuff. Mork and Mindy, I know they had seasons. There was no, there was nothing. They just had a little bit of writing here and there. And you two fill in the blanks. 
And it was uh, Robin Williams and help me out here. Who was the guy who played his Sam son? Dauber, I think. No, no, the uh, the one who played his son, big comedian, big big guy. And he, you he always like more. when you don't know who was on a sitcom, you always just go Ted McGinley, and you're. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys will know it. Hold on, he's a big comedian. He played Mork's son. And, that was a uh, Gary Marshall show, right? No. Probably it was a spinoff of Happy Days, so probably. Yeah. By the way, uh, Vinny Vincent wrote music for Happy Days. Did you know that? What? I'm pretty sure Vincent Cusano, Vinny Vincent, wrote music for Happy Days. That's incredible. If I'm totally wrong, if Joel gave you that information. Yeah. Okay, right. here's, well, here's this one I just one. checked. It's Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters oh. played Mark's son, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh just tell them. Here's how we need it to end. This is where we need it to start. Go. And everybody else in the cast would just try to hang on. And it how would just creepy was that? Robin though? Williams and Jonathan Winters just going for it. Crazy. That's, I remember that now. That was creepy to me as a kid, seeing Jonathan Winters' face. Well, the whole <laughs> creepy thing is that he's supposed to be the son, and you're kind of I don't know. I couldn't get over it either. No, I mean, as a, as a however old I was. I mean, now it's funny for sure, but yeah. when I was that age. Aliens, you know? Yeah. So, Aaron, I got another wrestling question for you because mm-hmm. I'm that guy. Um, what do you think about the whole deathmatch wrestling, uh, Nick Cage, uh, GCW scene? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Like, um, as a performer, personally, um, I'm not a fan, but – you know, like we were talking, right? I never let my own preferences get in the way of what fans want. And there's obviously a market for it. Um, you know, I, to me, right, like the pro wrestling is an art form. You just have to be so engaged with your audience that they forget it's fake. That's when, you know, when they're really emotionally engaged, that means you've done your job because yep. they forgot that you're a grown man play fighting in your underpants, which is what wrestling is. Make no mistake yeah. about it, right? But yeah. when done correctly, you know, look, Ivan Drago wasn't really Ivan Drago. You know what I mean? He was right. Dolph Lundgren, but yeah. we were we were hooked in, right? So now with the death matches, if there is a market for it and there is an art form, now to me, the art form gets lost in like how you can mangle your body. I mean, taking a weed whacker, or having someone take a weed whacker to your ass is not my idea of a good time. Now, <laughs> look, as a as a dude, if someone said, hey, this dude's going to willingly get a weed whacker. To- yeah, I'm going to watch. I mean, yeah. th- th- this guy's going to fall off a building and he's going to take a bunch of fluorescent light tubes, you know, piss on him, light <laughs> it on fire and have a bunch of thumbtacks on top of it and he's going to jump off a building and go through it yes i'm going to watch it yeah like because it's a car wreck wreck. yeah um but again like to to nick gage right if that's what he does and and he has built up a name for himself who am i to say yeah i don't do that now would i do it like look if it was you know we had a hundred thousand people at 500 bucks a ticket and and i had to do a death match for 10 minutes and it, it could be in a controlled environment Look, the right circumstance, of course, I'd probably do one if I knew I wasn't going to get killed. But would I do it like just to do it and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be at, you know, Georgia Broadcasting Studios like and have a de-. no, 
Like yeah. I'll, I'll rely on my, my skill set that I've kind of developed to, to do that. So it, yeah, like to your point, it, it's just, there's only so much you can see, right? Like you, you can only, the human body is only capable of doing so much, right? Mick Foley getting thrown off the top of the cage at hell in the cell, in my opinion, visually was the, the height of that that extreme style of wrestling only because right. Like it's wrestling and oh well the blood isn't real and, or that Bob wire isn't real. And those aren't real thumbtacks. Like there's always going to be the, like the people in the crowd questioning that, you know what I mean? Because and and 90% of the time it is real thumbtacks and Bob, it's, it's not a work, but um, you'll always have that. You cannot fake a human being being thrown off a 20 foot cage onto a table. Like in his no, tooth goes that, through his lip and, and like you was can't insanity. Fake that stuff. Yeah. So to me that, that was the height of what the human body is capable of. And well, after that, then he goes back and gets thrown through the top of the cage onto the ring, which was an accident. I know, which was a complete, I mean, that was, and, and by the way, I think the undertaker was working with a broken ankle to go back to your story of playing. Um, yeah. I, I think Mark had a broken ankle there. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, uh, you yeah, guys, like, I mean, for anyone to call never call you guys athletes, I think is is the most disrespectful bullshit that there is because you guys are so unbelievably athletic and fight through so much pain. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Well, you know, it, it's amazing what you know what ten thousand people screaming your name will do to you. Oh, that's the truth, and and that's and and you you get that. Like we can, you know, when, when you're when you're at the garden. I mean, if you have a broken ankle, if you have been up for three nights, if your life is falling apart when you are at that moment and you are about to be introduced, right. Whether it's as a band, as a wrestler, as a whatever. And, and you are about to walk out in Madison square garden. Nothing else matters. Right? I can so like, attest to all that. Yeah, I've been like in all that, those situations. And that's, that's the beauty of, uh, of being like for me, Music has always been the saving grace. It's the one thing that when everything else failed, it was there. Yeah. And, and, and you yeah, have no. you have yours as well as your acting career, but you have like your passion where you Yeah, start. but it's not the same. Like I I you know, I just did a movie with uh with Billy Zane a couple of weeks ago, right? Like that was my first major kind of thing and where I felt like, oh wow, I'm an actual actor. This is kind of cool. Right. Um but you know, and like the, the TV is cool and everything, and um, but like you know, when you, you could be an actor. Yeah. I want to be in movies. And, and this was like the, the biggest thing I'd done. So it was awesome. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. But, um, Did he win or lose? <laughs> I don't think it ended well. Yeah. Don't spoil it. Don't I, spoil I can't it. Say. Um, <laughs> but Uh-oh. like, there you go. Awesome, but it's not the same. It is not the same as like when, when you have that energy from that live crowd, when, 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 when a building full of screaming people, it becomes one living entity. It's weird, right? And look, I mean, I, I have experimented with with several mind altering substances. Um, you know, I, I I've partied a little bit. I applaud that. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> there Shockers. is, yeah, there is no drug that I have done that is equal to that. No, without a doubt, there's none. Okay, like, so there, for both of you guys, I got sorry to jump in, but I have. So my question is to you, Snake. You've been off the stage playing for a little while. Aaron, you're switching up careers to be an actor. 
you got to miss a little bit performing on the stage. You're talking about loving it so very much. So I think the answer is obvious. Yeah, of course. But what's the change like? You know, I remember for years and I'd ha- you, you have dreams of leaving high school and, and remembering that you had a test due and, and, and all these. Uh, for me, it's being a roadie and thinking Charlie Hernandez is going to kick my ass for forgetting something or another. And it, go, it can go on for a while. I don't know. I'm not a psyche person. But um, what's it like for you guys to dramatically change your careers? Is it scary? Is it exciting? Is it a bit of both? What do you, you know, what do you want? Would you go back on the stage, both of you? I know Aaron, been, Aaron, we, you're performing still, but. Well, we've been, we've been touring. We've been, we went out and did our first few shows starting last month. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, uh, our first show was out in uh, Northern California and it, you know, because of this pandemic has shut everything down and, yeah. you know, we were kind of, it wasn't by choice that we couldn't perform. It was mandated. You know, you just guess what your livelihood is being taken away from you. And we don't know for how long. Yeah. And that, that's a really sobering uh, uh, hurdle to, to navigate. Um, while on one hand, everything that, that, you love from a from a, a a livelihood standpoint has in that you've done for you know 30 40 years of your life is all of a sudden being stripped from you can't do it the good side of it is is that you get to spend time with your family and whatnot that you never had before like i've never was ever home for 18 an 18 month period of time since we started Skid Row, never without playing a show or being in the studio. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really sobering. Mm-hmm. And I, my mental health was absolutely tested throughout the duration of it. And, and then all of a sudden you get to play a show and it was like the heavens opening up and going, guess what? You know what? Just kidding. We're not going to take it away from you forever. And, and what a humbling uh, experience because that's when you really, really get down to the meat and potatoes of things where why you're there and it's that interaction with the audience. Um, and it's the, it's the way that we uh, are receiving something from them and in turn also giving something back and, and this feeling of community. And not being, um, whoops, I just took a picture of my screen. Um, and not being uh, uh, deterred from, from that joy that you get from music. And so, yeah. again, the reason why I never, I guess that goes back to the reasons why you do things to begin with. And, and music for me was never about money. And it was never about even you know, being the biggest star on the planet, in the planet that for me, it was always about communicating through my songs and then eventually through our songs um, to get out emotionally what I couldn't verbalize or communicate otherwise. Um, And that was to me, the goal was to be as good of a guitar player and, uh, songwriter as I possibly could be and make a living at it. Um, Were you writing during the pandemic? Yes and no. 
Yes. I guess I guess the answer is yes. Was I writing anything good is the question. <laughs> and I don't think that I was, uh, to be quite honest. I think that I, uh, and maybe it was, maybe, and I'm going to have to go back and revisit it because maybe that was just my mindset uh, where nothing was good enough. Um, and I was forcing it and, and I, I certainly wasn't. Did you send any of this stuff to Rachel? Uh, actually towards the end, because we started working on the record again and, uh, in the studio with Nick Raskulinitz, who is just, you know, does the Foo Fighters, Hailstorm, Stone Sour, Rush, uh, Mastodon, who's just an amazing talent. Like, so just crazy. And so getting, I had, he was like, we need some more songs. And so I guess when I'm put with that pressure to create, because we're, we need something like there was no pressure in the pandemic. It was like, tomorrow's going to be the same as today. Um, but once I was forced with that, yeah. And then I started coming up with riffs and then Rachel and I would get together and we would turn that into So the song. pressure is good for you or bad? Yes. It's good. Always has been. All right. So you're a kid, you're writing all the big hit songs that we all know. You had pressure. Because all writing. You wanted to be a rock star. You wanted to be the man. Well, I certainly wanted to, I certainly loved the idea of, of being uh, uh, notable, recognized in the business, uh, respected. Um, you had asked a question earlier, and this yeah. is really interesting. Uh, you question. asked a question earlier about when, did I, like, when did I feel... When did I feel famous? You asked us. Yeah, I told you, and it's from a five, it's from a fifth grader, and it's the best one I got, man. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Did I ask you that question when you were on, Aaron? Yeah. Uh, oh no, no, no. no, no I had no. Aaron on earlier with uh, Al Snow, which was one of my first episodes, and I don't know if I was asking people that. Maybe we, hmm. so. The, the question was: It was my friend's daughter who's in fifth grade, and she said, "You need to ask every person when they first felt famous," and the answers have been. Fun. Great. Well, for me, it's pretty interesting because Mike was there when it happened. Um, we started touring with Bon Jovi in January of 1989. Things started taking off for us in February a little bit. Youth Gone Wild was starting to get some traction on MTV. Uh, March came along, it started building and we, and, you know, one of the things that we prided ourselves on always is being a really good live band. Um, we wanted to, and we, we, we all work really, really well as a unit, as the underdogs. And we were, no one knew who we were. We were going on before a band who was the biggest band in the world at the time. And we had to figure out a way to hold our own. Uh, and to to make an imprint on those 15, 20,000 people that were there. Uh, and that just came through uh, every night was a challenge for us. Like we needed to rise up to a challenge. Um, and whether that was self-imposed or, or whatever, but it was, that was the, the thing. Like we have, we can't, good is not good enough. It's got to be great. And competition spears. And we would watch every show after the show. Like we'd have a, a high eight camera out at the soundboard and they we only played forty five minutes and then we'd be partying and stuff like that. And then once we got on the bus, we hooked it up to the television and, and we'd all watch the show. And yeah. this way we got we figured out 
quickly what we weren't doing well and what we were doing really well. And that's what honed us quicker than a lot of other bands because a lot of bands didn't do that. Uh, Prince did it till the day he died, which is pretty amazing. It shows you how ambitious he is. Uh, but so for us, the, 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 the trajectory was moving upwards at a good enough rate where we weren't necessarily aware of it. We were living in a bubble. Uh, you know, you go, you see the adulation from the crowd when you're on stage, but you know, you're back behind, uh, backstage after the show. And then you're on a tour bus driving to the next town. And every once in a while, you know, you'll do an in-store or something like that. And you see that. But what happened was December, Christmas time of 1989, uh, we had been out for, uh, 11 months at that point, we were getting ready to go. We had just got back from Europe with Motley Crue and we were getting ready to go out on tour with Aerosmith and Mike and I went Christmas shopping at a place called the East Brunswick square mall. And I didn't think anything of it. Mike didn't think anything of it. We're just two idiots from Sayreville, New Jersey. And I happen to play guitar in a band and, you know, he happens to look like an idiot and we're cool. So we uh, we're in the mall and we're walking around and people start coming up to us and asking for autographs. I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Well, before we knew it, there was about 300 people surrounding us. Oh, wow. And, and it was like, I, I mean, I, tr- I truthfully, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the guy that, 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 you know, looks for the hug. Uh, it's like, I, I had no idea that it would be like that. And it was because I was always taught to be humble and to be gracious and to think of everything and take everything that comes to you in life as a gift. My mother taught me that. She embedded it in my head. Yeah. Uh, And it served me well throughout my whole career to have that viewpoint. And so we're innocently Christmas shopping. And all of a sudden we're surrounded by all these people. And I'm like, holy crap, like people actually know who I am and and know the band that I'm in and want me to sign their autographs. And, and we had to get escorted out by police through the back uh, behind the stores, the, the hallways behind the stores wow. uh, because it, the police were, I was fine standing there all day and signing stuff. I love doing that, you know? Mm. Uh, but they felt it was a, a security matter. It was, and it was also, it was kind of messing with the people who were actually trying to go Christmas shopping. You know, <laughs> there they, you they go. Have, the money. It's only the dollar so, bill. Yeah. That was the, that was the moment that I'll always remember and go, wow. Okay. So life is a little different now. Mm-hmm. Isn't know? it hard though? You have carpal tunnel, right? Isn't it hard to sign shit all the time? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> really? Yeah, you, you right, use man. your elbow like like if, if you you can use your elbow or your shoulder if your wrist gets hurt you just go like the boom 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 and it's like it's a it's, yeah well i have a glass i have a glass i have a glass eye so i just pop my eye out and throw the marker in there <laughs> what was the one aaron you had to do recently you had to sign like thousands of autographs somewhere uh that no you had something recently i'm like how the fuck do you do that and you're like use your elbow <laughs> oh no, that that was actually you know it's funny like that was that was when I first fell famous. Uh, ironically, that was the one in Paris where um oh that might have been yeah, yeah like I, I did ask you yeah um yeah so we were yeah we we, we must have talked about that then yeah but I um yeah it was just one of those things where like similar to where you're living in that bubble like you're on the road full time and it's like no 
you're used to going to Gold Gym, go to the arena, and then you're hitting Waffle House at about, you know, one or two in the morning, and then you go to the hotel. Um, so you just live in that world. You live in that world, and it's nice to have the adulation or hatred, in my case, from the people, except in Paris. And um, <laughs> th- this was about, like, probably a couple months after, like, the Paris incident happened when they, like, I was a baby face there. Uh, it was for a, the um, the video game was coming out and WWE, I think it was 2K. They they were like, we're sending you. And it was just me by myself to oh, wow. kind of like I, I came off the road to do this autograph signing. And I'm thinking, OK, cool. It's at a con. I'll sit there. And um, well, I was the only one signing. And um, there was a lot more people that showed up than expected. And um, it, it's funny because I, I'm not big on like pictures and just like I, I don't have like a room with all my belts that I've won hey like I'm it's just like whatever it's it's kind of is what it is and it's very just it's it's all part of the show but I, I have this picture it's on my phone and it, it's like it's the first time I I ever went okay holy shit like what what the hell like they're here to see me like this is yeah. kind of crazy and um I ended up saying like it was three hours overboard um, because I was like, you know, if anyone like, like to me, right. Like you, we get up and then we're still people like you still have to eat. You have to take care of your business. You got to pay your bills. Um, so to me, like I, I was fortunate enough to have a very kind of grounded upbringing and who am I to, if anyone's going to stand in line for me, writing my name with a Sharpie, like, I'm not going to say no to that. Um, exactly. you know, if, if I can sit there and do it, I will. So that was, yeah, that yeah. was a, that's always the way that we've been too. But it's really interesting because I, I don't know how like the aftermath of that particular moment was for you. For me, like I I, I either subconsciously or inherit or, or, or consciously knew that my life is different now. Like like it's mm-hmm. like but I was thankful because all my friends that I went to school with and high school with were still my friends. Like yeah. we that never fell apart. Um, and that, I think that's another Jersey thing where we're so loyal and committed to our, our friendships through the years and and still to this day, I mean, I'm 57 years old. I, you know, I've known Mike, you know, 50, 49 of those years. And so, uh, that was, that's always a great grounding mechanism, Mm uh, to, to know that while outside of this circle, it may be something, but inside the circle, I'm still the dick from Cerebral, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like I, I was, shut up TJ. 100%. <laughs> the Jersey roots. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's always great to have that because like I was, you know, I remember when I got my first action figure, I'm like, Oh, this is so great. And then man, when I came home, of, of course, my family went to Walmart and bought all of them. Yep. And, I'll leave it at this. My uncle drilled holes in select places in the action figure and, and <laughs> used it as yeah, that's awesome. Good, it wasn't oh, that's good. Awesome. So yeah, it was. Um, you know, it's just like you, you got to be able to laugh at it too. Like understand it's, you know, there'll be different degrees of fame and notoriety, but at the end of the day, it's all temporal. And it's um, you know, again, like you're to be able to go home and have that support system of friends and family is it's yeah. huge. Well, it's funny because I think that all the people that I'm still friends with and and as of today, my friendship with TJ ends, but everybody else that no. I'm friends with, everybody else that I'm friends with, um, 
it, they didn't care. Like they were happy for you. Like they're happy for your success and stuff like that. But it didn't change to them who you inherently are. Yeah. Well, and that's the, so. So Mike, can you hear me, Mike? All right. I can't so Mike, hear you. You're on, you're you're on, on mute. mute. But would you work? Would you be working in music right now? You think if it wasn't for Snake? Uh, I was actually yes because, well, he actually had like sort of an, an indirect way of of pulling me into the music business. You know, I saw how uh, how he made it, and I took a different route. I was working at the Hit Factory in New York uh, when I got out of school. Cool. And uh, then I ruined my career by going on the road with him. That's uh, the truth. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I left the hit factor. He needed a guitar tech, and I was like, I'm coming. Why not? It was probably, and it's I would I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, but yeah, he definitely had an indirect way uh, of pulling me into the music business. I'd say. But Mike worked with some, like Mike worked with some like heavy hitters, people like Nile Rodgers and David Lee Roth and yeah. uh, Puff Daddy, because Mike was one of the preeminent engineers at the Hit Factory, and people loved to work with them. Uh, not me per se, but other people. <laughs> um, I worked in a recording studio first, and I fucking mm-hmm. hated it, man. It was it was so boring. You're stuck in this air conditioned cube. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love being in the studio. I, I love I that it. whole process of of taking something that you're creating out of nothing and mm-hmm. seeing it to fruition, and and all the steps that it takes to get there. It, it's to me, it's pretty amazing. Like the process of it. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand like when when they pick up a or listen to a piece of music and or back in the day when you used to pick up a CD or an album or whatever. I don't think that it's been documented enough uh, for the public how it's how it comes from an idea comes from nothing comes from nothing. You get in a room and all of a sudden you go, hmm, what are we going to say? What are we going to talk about? And you've got to get that brain going. It's kind of, you know what, Aaron, it's kind of like what you guys do when you're developing a character or you're developing your promos to, to connect. The idea of the promo is to connect. The idea of your character is to connect because you don't have a job if you don't. It's the same thing with us. You know, the, our job is to connect with people on some level. For me, on a smaller note, I was, you know, not as not putting myself in the same league as either one of you, but it was the camaraderie. I like the camaraderie aspect of it more than the uh, the creation aspect. Always, I don't know. So, you know, you're always working with Rachel. Yes. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I don't know if that's true, but but no, it is. I mean, that's okay. I've written my my best stuff that I've ever written, even though I've written with other people. Anything, the best parts, the best songs I've ever written have been with him. I mean, there's just a, a symbiotic nature that we have with one another that, as I said earlier, we figured it out early on without even having to figure it out. It just happened. And Did those you, are the best. It's the same thing as like having a shot at the bar with a buddy. You know, I know you don't drink anymore, TJ, but it's the it's the thought of it. it you don't have to be drinking. It's the thought of like, dude, we're fucking you and me, buddy, you know. We're good. <laughs> Our moms would be proud, bro. You know, the whole idea world is a better place that TJ doesn't drink. Tell trust me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he's got hundreds of hours of footage of it though in his. Oh, uh, there is some great footage in that doc, man. Just the worst there. strip club in New Brunswick. That's where I meet him. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God that the I didn't have the video camera on in the our tour snake. 
It's the truth, man. It was so, gosh. <laughs> that was the tour. The Kiss tour was the tour where I graduated from drinking the 750 milliliter bottle of vodka to the one with the handle on it. That was my grad. That was my graduation. I, I used to it. I used to get up in the morning slash afternoon and go into catering and my cup of coffee I'd be like this and it'd be shooting everywhere. I mean, it's, <laughs> no, the, the holding the pencil and you can't hold the fucking pencil. Oh, it's so, it's the worst. It, it's like someone says, sign an autograph and it looks like an old piece of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's, I tried. You have no idea the night mm-hmm. I just had. <laughs> God bless you, Joel. Hey, guys, uh, we're going to start rehearsing soon. I got to jump off, but it was, thanks for having me, and I'll talk Thank to you, you. guys soon. Hey, great to meet you, man. Thank you. Actually, I I have to get ready to do my podcast here in a couple minutes, so I'm, I'm going to have to dip out too. Awesome. Well, you know what, uh, Joel, if you could get Aaron my info, I'd really appreciate it, and we can Absolutely. hopefully keep in touch and and. Uh, just if you give him my email and whatever other info yeah. you have, phone numbers, whatever. TJ, if you can forget all of my info, I would be great. <laughs> Never. Never. But uh, Damien, if you get, or Aaron, excuse me, if you get a chance to see TJ's movie, it's very good. I watched it today and it's really good. I'll definitely really check good. that out. Yeah. Thanks, definitely. And, yeah. TJ, great to uh, to be able to meet you, man, and talk to you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Good luck. And Aaron, you. Thank- check it out. Aaron, thanks for making me even more of a mark than I already am. Oh my god, are you same here. Are you this was <laughs> awesome. Like I yeah, trust me, this was this made my day. So thank you. thanks, bud. Have a good podcast and I hope to speak with you soon. Right on, you too. Thanks, guys. DJ, anything you need for the movie, I'm in. Joel, thank you for having no. me. Great to see you again. Snake, I'd never forget when I were first learning computers in 2000, we, you know, we didn't have, we had a laptop, but it was like, it was like 65 pounds <laughs> and I was learning the internet and trying to navigate different things. And you, you had loaded all gay porn on my homepage, <laughs> not just one, there was like 50 of them. So I would click and it would just keep reloading. to the next <laughs> yep. That was your screensaver. Oh or my our... God. Over and over. And yep. I'm in production and I'm trying to do business as a professional guy. And that's what was on my, my thing. So thanks for that snake. You know, my new bit is on, on airplanes being that we all have masks on now is pulling up porn on my iPad. <laughs> I just hold my iPad here. I just put it there so everybody can see it. That's great. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, Don't be a dick.